podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Towards Gabbiadini! Oh, he's hit the post and he's gone in! And one shot treated Manchester United's defence with absolute contempt. Here's Bayano, give and go with Sturridge, that's lovely! Tommy Smith, hello for Russia! That's going to be that! It's John Bart, it's Pearson, it is 1-0 to Derby County! It's Collins, Melter! What a goal! Another chance for Russell. This time he makes it. The Rams rampant. Hello and welcome to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast. My name is Chris Parsons and there's no Richard and Tom with me for episode seven because instead we've spoken to a very special guest. He made more than 200 appearances for Derby County. He played for his country at a World Cup and he was a key figure in the Jim Smith revolution. It is, of course, Mr. Daryl Powell. Now, if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to get in touch with Steve Bloomer's Washing on Twitter. But in the meantime, here is the man himself. And here's a good-looking cross, straight up in the air, and they've not got rid of it, and Daryl Powell soars to head Derby in front for the first time in the game. And nobody deserved a goal more than Daryl Powell. Darrell, how are you? I'm very well, Chris. Yourself? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. It's great to have you with us. For those fans who you know haven't kept an eye on your career since you retired, what what is it you're you're doing these days? Within three months of retiring, um, I helped somebody out, move a couple of players, and then within twelve months, I set up a sports management company, and have been doing that ever since. So you're now a, you're a football agent. That's right. Correct. I think they've changed the terminology now to intermediary, but I use the term agent as well. It was around 2006 that started. Wasn't you probably it? know more than me. Um, I stopped. I stopped playing around then, and then after a few months, uh, the first deal I actually did was Marcus Tudgay moving from Derby County to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, did that with uh, a friend of mine, and then within a year, set up my own company and was um, off and running. That's fascinating. And we'll, we'll get to all of that uh, sort of a bit later on, but in terms of uh, all, all the Derby fans who listen to this podcast, you know, remember you from your time at the club around 20 years ago. I've got a staff <laughs> for you here, Darren. I don't know if you remember, but you actually hold two club records at Derby. I'm worried now. Do you, know what, do you think you know what they are? Appearances in the Premier League, maybe? That is one, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other one, the least goal scored by a Derby County player. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, well, you're right with the first one. Um, so according to the Premier League website, you uh, you made the most appearances of any Derby player in the Premier League. Do you know how many that was, the top of your head? Oh, I've got no idea. It was 170. It's okay. Um, ahead of Jakob Lawson, 137. Mark Poom, 133. Dean Sturridge, 128. Uh, you're also involved in the most Premier League wins for Derby with, with around 50. Exactly 50, I love that. Exactly it, sounds, it sounds good, um, but I suppose if you've made the most appearances, be a little bit disappointed not to have the most wins. Fair point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but before that, you were a regular starter in the Jim Smith team, mm-hmm. uh, which, which got promoted in 1996. Um, and then also in that team between sort of 96 and 99, which arguably the, the best team that Derby have had in the past sort of 20, 30 years, really. They finished uh, 12th, 9th, and eighth in consecutive seasons. You must remember that period of your yeah, career quite fondly. It, it was fantastic, actually. I remember moving to Derby, and I had a few other offers at the time. I decided that Derby was the right move for me, and it was a real transition for the football club. 
because if I remember rightly, Derby had spent a hell of a lot of money in the previous maybe four or five seasons and bought a lot of big names. They uh, moved those out and brought in a young group that nobody ever knew. And um, it took us a little while to click, but once we clicked and um, we were off and running, you know, we we were a, a strong, a strong, strong unit mixed in with a couple of experienced players. From my point of view, I remember that Derby team, well, when they got promoted, they finished second and then they're in the Premier League from 96 till 2002. But in those early days, that, that team was, compared to the team now, which is entirely British players, it was really cosmopolitan, wasn't it? Because you had, uh, you had sort of Croatians, Estonians, Costa yeah. Ricans, Argentinians. Jim was really, he would really, really take a chance. He obviously had a good scouting network. He probably had good um, friends who were agents who had good contacts. And he would take a chance on a player and he would look at players. And I would imagine Steve McLaren was also very, very, very good in that area as well. But one thing with us at that time, I think we were a very forward thinking club. We're very advanced technology-wise. We were doing stats way, way back then. Really? After every game, we would do stats. We'd have the, the pro zone, zone, that sort of thing. We'd have the pro zone, and we would talk distances covered, touches of the ball, areas you've passed the ball, you know, the lot. And I think we were... I would, I would say we were probably the first club in the country to get going with that Yeah. in a big way. I mean, you know, Derby were a mid-sized team around that time, but to, to finish in their first three Premier League seasons, 12th, 9th and 8th, I'm sure in one of them that Derby almost got into Europe, didn't they? Yeah, five points off. I think we were doing really, really well, and once we accumulated the points, we kind of dropped off. And uh, yeah. when you look back, it's, On the beach. it's yeah, it's disappointing <laughs> when you look back. And when you're young and you're in the middle of it, you don't quite see it like that. But um, I think even the season we got promoted, we were disappointed that we never won the league. Um, we were charging along, and then I think the wheels fell off around March. I think maybe we got the jitters or a few injuries and Sunderland won the league that year, but we felt that we were the better, the better team. I can remember going on holiday that summer. I think Sheffield United might have come down that season. The Sheffield United players were there, congratulated us on going up and then said, oh, we'll see you back down the following season. And um, But we had a group of players that had a real like, strong mentality and we really believed that we would do well. And obviously we did for a period of time. When you got into the Premier League, from the way I remember it, it felt like Derby could, could really sort of compete with anyone on their day. I mean, between those years, Derby beat, sort of beat, did a double over Liverpool, beat Arsenal, Man United, beat Chelsea. Literally, if Derby turned it on at that time, all the, the top players teams, they had... We, we could compete against any team in the league, even the top teams in that league. And I can remember the first season, and I can remember when Manchester United came to us with a, with a youngish team. I think we drew at the baseball ground. Maybe that also helped us, the fact that we stayed at the baseball ground for an extra season. But mentally, the group was very, very, very strong. And then Jim brought in Eagle Stimach in the championship season. Yeah. He was just in a different level mentally. And what, then, do you, if you don't, what, what do you mean by that? He was just so composed. He just, and, just had uh, so much belief yeah. in himself in what he could do and then we were relatively young and our group did that rub off on the, on the likes of yourselves for sure and that summer 96 we signed Asanovic and I remember watching him in the Euros they played over at Nottingham Forest and I can't remember who they played against and I watched him and he was fantastic and then you knew that you had to raise your level if you wanted to be a part of things going forward you had to raise your level and I think we all did and we all fed off each other and we all contributed now 
it, there was a lot of great results in, in that period. Uh, as I said, Derby did the, did the double over Liverpool mm-hmm. in 99, I think it was. Obviously beat Man United at Old Trafford. Um, are there any games from that period that stick out in your mind in that Premier League the, spell? As a kid growing up, I liked Arsenal. So that first season, playing at Arsenal. And you scored, scoring, you scored there, Scoring right? at Arsenal. So that, that sticks out. Getting my nose broken in the same game at Arsenal by my own teammate, Sturridge. I think he kicked me in the nose. And then even to the point of remembering when Vieira shot to equalise, took away my thunder a little bit. And I can yeah. remember the ball like whistling past my ear and I couldn't really? get my head across to, to block it. So I would say that game in that period would really, really stand out for me. Dean Sturridge scored an absolute screamer. He scored game, a, Dean at times did some ridiculous things. When you look back at it, some of the stuff he did was was incredible. That, that was a great period in your career. Mm-hmm. And then uh, summer of 98, you're off to, off to France for the World Cup. What was that like? Yeah. Dion Burton had been called up to the Jamaican squad. Paul Hall, who I think at the time was at Coventry, had been playing for Jamaica. And Paul played with me at Portsmouth. And, they, and my agent at the time was doing a lot of work with the Jamaican Football Federation. So they invited me in for training and then I would say a trial match might as well say a trial match that's in effect what it was and I enjoyed it and did well and got in the squad and was off to the World Cup the World Cup was a fantastic occasion when you had finished and come home because when you're actually in it it's it's just a whirlwind it's, yeah it's like it's your job so you're focused on your work we were very isolated. We were we were away from everyone and everything and press, media and all that. So it wasn't until you came back and you look back at it, you realise what, what you were in. Actually, the thought of playing against Croatia and Argentina, and I was suspended for the Japan game, didn't give me any fears because I, I actually felt that even at that time, the league we were playing in, playing in the Premier League week in, week out, I felt if you could compete in that league with the best clubs and the best teams in that league, we should be able to compete on the bigger stage. In saying that, I know Jamaica, we didn't have the biggest players, but it, it didn't hold any fears for me. End of the day, it was a historic moment for you, wasn't it? Fantastic. It was the, the first and only time Jamaica have ever played in a World Cup. Correct. Um, so what was, when you were there and you're playing against mm. the likes of Batistuta and Ortega, and uh, it's Croatia in your group as well, wasn't it? Yeah, Croatia. So you played against, did you play against... Igor, and yeah, played against Prosineski, played yeah. uh, Sanovic. We played against them. Croatia, we, we should have actually got a point from. Really, we had a really good opportunity to come to Dion when we, I think we were 2-1 down to equalise and I think we would have got something out of that and then the Argentina game was um, the bittersweet moment for me because actually the game I started that one played 45 minutes got sent off pretty much on half time I felt that in that first half of that game I played played well was tired though I can remember being tired and who was it in the middle for them I had to do a, a job really on Ortega so I got two <laughs> yellow cards on Ortega and I'm sure, you're not, know, I'm sure you're not the first or last person to well no certainly team. not well Beckham had it in the same World Cup didn't he against Argentina yeah. so I can just remember um, he was clever and for that time yeah, they were fouls were they bad fouls no was he buying them yes I suppose today if you breathe hard it's a foul but yeah. I, was, I was really disappointed and really really I was fuming um, half time because it was 1-0 at half time we went on and ended up losing that game 5-0 I remember and yeah. I took a l- I took it personally that it, a lot of that was down to me would we have got a point against Argentina probably not would we have 
put on a good show? I think so. But when I look back, it brings a smile to my face still because it's it was still historic. It was still an appearance in a World Cup. When you when you look back on your career, how does it compare to sort of playing at sort of you know Old Trafford and Anfield and and against the likes of Vieira and Keane? How do you compare those two experiences? It's it was different. It's completely different. I felt that as much as other people looked and said, "You guys are in the Premier League. How did you do it?" I believed in myself. I believed that I was good enough to be on the pitch with Patrick Vieira and I believed I was good enough to be on the pitch with Roy Keane and I, I remember Steve McLaren asking me along with the psychologist that we had at the time whether I felt I was good enough to play in the Premier League and how did I feel about those players and I, I was offended by that and that was the group of players we had. Maybe that's what he wanted like, you to, that's how he wanted you to react. He wanted you to I've, be offended and to, probably, to, to show, to show them, to prove them wrong. Sort of yeah, thing. probably did. So I didn't, I didn't look at those players with any like inhibitions or any fears. I knew they were good players, but I felt that we could always compete. That team that you played in, hmm. when there was a sort of Iranio, Bayano, Wanchop and Sturridge going forward, mm-hmm. how, how good was that team in your opinion? It was a lot better than I thought at the time. It's not until you step away and you move on, you realise how good a group of players you've been working with. Stefano Aranio in tight areas was as good as any player that I ever had the pleasure to play play with. He was also a fantastic person. Um, he would teach you things. And his first week with us, actually, I roomed with Stefano. Um, I think Robbie van der Laan, me and Stefano roomed together and he was such such a wonderful person. For someone so talented who had achieved so much, he was so humble and always helping us. Um, and his tele- telepathy with Bayano at times was was ridiculous. It, yeah. was, it was a joy to watch. It must have been great for you fans to watch. It was really terrific, yeah, yeah. yeah. When a lot of people think of that team, mm. they do think of... Paolo Wanchop. Yeah. What was he like to play with? Choppy was different. Choppy was, um, of course, he was very off the cuff. He did he did things spontaneously. We didn't know what he was going to do at times. Um, but that was the beauty of him. He was physically very, very strong. He was very, very quick. He was ungainly. And you don't get that, you don't get any pressure at pace from the videos, do you? No. But I guess no. you cover the ground quickly, which no, is the same because thing. When we do like tests. So you could watch him run and not think it, but we did sprint tests and over over say fifty meters, sixty meters, he was he was quick. Yeah. Sturridge was different. Sturridge was electric. So Sturridge out of the block, Sturridge was He was crazy. more acceleration, wasn't more, he? The first yeah, 10 power and really explosive pace. Yeah. Whereas one shot was more of a galloper. But once he got in his stride <laughs> That's one way of describing him. Oh. <laughs> Are you still in touch with any of those players? Um Yeah. Occasionally, speak to Sturridge occasionally. Um, I've spoken to one chop on a few occasions. Stefano invited me over to Milan um, was that, was a, good while, a good while ago. Oh. After we'd retired, but a good while ago. He, um, I've what, seen what him a gent. Oh, he's, he is such a good person. Stimach, yeah, as and when. Even King Clardsy I've spoken to a couple of occasions. Yeah. But the thing is, when your careers are over, everyone moves on with their lives and you've got your life to live. And when you catch up, you catch up. I was hoping I could ask you about a couple of very specific moments mm-hmm. in your Derby career. So I was speaking to some other fans about their memories of you. Mm-hmm. And one of them said to me, I think I remember about Daryl Powell is when we played that game away against Leicester mm-hmm. in December 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, Derby won 1-0. The ball falls to you 
about 40 yards out. Tell us what happened next. It wasn't actually 40 yards out. The ball got... Give, give or take. <laughs> the ball got cleared out of the box and um, it's bounced up and I've just I've just helped it, like try to put it back in the box, put it on top of the keeper really and Marvin Robinson was charging Tim Flowers down and as Marvin's come towards Tim, sorry Tim, but he scared him. I think he took his eye off the ball and it's gone over him and gone into the goal and that's why I instantly put my hands over my mouth uh, not the fact that, well, about the whole incident, because I could see it so clearly. What Did you expect the ref to give a foul on the keeper? No, he didn't touch him. He just he just charged towards him and jumped, and then Tim's taken his eye off the ball, looked at Marv, he's had to jump to catch it, and it's gone over him. We'll take that. So they all count, don't they? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a few um, sort of quick-fire questions about your time at the club. Uh, who's the most skillful player you played with? Definition of definition of skill. That's a that's a tough so one. Most uh, natural footballing ability, I guess. Asanovic and Aranio. Asanovic was physically strong um, and could receive the ball. Like I said about Aranio in tight areas, but Asanovic couldn't be bullied off the ball. He would stay on the ball for long periods of time and could find passes at any range or distance. Um, Stefano just is is telepathy. How he saw things so quickly. How he shifted the ball so quickly um, was also those two were the, the top players King Cloudsy come at a later stage and he was a good friend of mine um, and he had an ability to go past people um, you may all laugh at me here but messy like in the way he just sort of dropped his shoulder the way he moved he didn't have a particular skill but it was just his body movement that, that did it I don't uh, think that's an unreasonable comparison. I mean, you, you know, the people way, who watched him at the time, yeah, he could change direction so quickly. Yeah, the way he moved, was so good, wasn't he? Yeah, without without doing a trick. Where you watch a Ronaldo, it's a trick, and it's you know you can see that he's a top player, but it's a trick. Whereas with King Clarzy, it was skill. It was just body movement. It was so so good. Um, but in terms of the contribution to our football club, it would have to be Aranio and and Andersanovic. Who's the hardest opponent you played against? There's a few players I can mention. I remember having a real good pre-season, uh, the year that we played Sampdoria in pre-season. And that last game I played against Veron, and I had an absolute beast. And he had me all over the place, him and Montella. They had me all over the place. And I think I didn't recover till December. <laughs> um, I think uh, Gianfranco Zola playing against Chelsea. And then if we're going to talk about the two titans, um, Roy Keane and Vieira, for me... The harder opponent for me was Patrick Vieira. I just felt that he was a bit taller. He had um, that more rangey, maybe, sorry Roy, but maybe a, technically a little bit better. Whereas Keane, I felt, was more the leader, more of a leader. It's more his influence, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, influence on, on his team and on his peers. What's your favourite away ground that you played at? It was Highbury, just because... As a kid, that's where I always wanted to go. And I used to wa- I watched Portsmouth there a few times in cup competitions. And I always wanted to play at Highbury in a, in a senior game. What's the worst away dressing room you ever had the pleasure to use? At the top level, it was Bradford. And I think that was closely followed by Barnsley. In Bradford, we couldn't get a skip in the uh, change room. And I'll say Bradford... Just because at that time, Bradford were playing us in the Premier League. I'm sure that I've played at small grounds and you know lower league clubs or non-league grounds, but you expect things to be a little bit different. But yeah. when someone's competing with you in the top league and you can't get the, um, the skips with the shirts in the changing room and all the players, 
you know, it's not the best. I wanted to ask you just finally for this first segment about uh, Jim Smith because mm-hmm. he bought you to Derby mm-hmm. in 95 mm-hmm. and you previously played under him at Portsmouth, was that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you must have been sad to see him go when he lost his job in, or did he resign? I can't remember. When he when he left the club in 2001. I don't know sad's the right word because when you're in it, it's really is, you're all focused on your, your jobs and we had been here as a group a long time and Jim had done wonders for Derby County Football Club, but it probably was the right time. Maybe even if it was a season earlier, would have been the right time for Jim to move on. And maybe even myself, in terms from a professional point of view, because um, I think everything does have its lifespan. I was actually surprised that Jim signed me um, at Derby because I was a young player at Portsmouth under him, and we had a really, really good young group didn't actually know that he um, liked me as a football player because he just used to like hammer me day in day out <laughs> so when I heard that he wanted to sign me it was a bit of a surprise but it, it was an easy decision in as much as I knew what he was about what's the, the sort of the one game that you when you think about your time at Derby what's the one game you sort of remember first Arsenal game the Arsenal 2-2 I remember going to Tottenham as well um, in the first season going to White Hart Lane and just you know seeing the big screen up and how nice it looked and how and actually playing the game and how comfortable I felt in the game so it was a, you know it wasn't a case of feeling oh my god these players are so much faster and stronger than me you know you you along because of the belief that the squad had and you had you uh, you felt you could compete at that level immediately yeah for sure for sure and obviously that was proved in the fact that they finished 12 so yeah it's true <laughs> we will Talk, well, I'll ask you a few more questions in the second part what you think about the current team and what they need to get promoted uh, if you have enjoyed the podcast so far uh, please do follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes and we will see you after this Powell again there's Villains Asanovic in from the right, nice in-swinger up goes Robinson, doesn't clearly get the header, Leicester to get it out, Power returns it, it's dropping, it's in it's in, I think it might have gone straight in oh wretched defending by Leicester and Flowers very much at fault I think it might be Daryl Powell all the way Welcome back to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast, we're here with Daryl Powell uh, you enjoyed it so far, Daryl? It's been very good, Chris. Going back down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so had to you, wind up the brain a little bit. You told us in the first half that you, you now work as a football agent since retiring in uh, around 2005. How did you get into it? Because if you don't mind me saying, it's quite a bit more of an un- unusual you know, career decision, given that most players go into sort of punditry or, or coaching. It certainly, it certainly was very different then because we had to take an exam to, to um, get the licence and the exam's notoriously tough. I think they say there was a 10% pass rate on the exam, so a lot of guys didn't go that route. Uh, I think it was a case of, I first stopped playing and I was selling, buying and selling cars on my own. And I um, was doing okay at it, and somebody asked me to help them out with a couple of players, Marcus Tudgay being the first one. And I thought, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem, because while I played, obviously I captained my teams on a number of occasions and I would help younger players out with contracts with PFA I was a PFA delegate for a number of years and I helped them help them out with um, moving the player it worked out it um, it paid quite well 
And I thought, this avenue gives me more freedom than actually going in the coaching route. So that never tempted you, coaching or management? I loved coaching. Honestly, I loved every bit about it. Being out on the training ground, football's out. I loved it. But when I thought about it, I thought I could go and study four years of studying for this, get a job um, as an assistant, manager gets sacked, I go with him. And within three months, after four years of studying, my career's over. And also, I just thought about the constant moving around the country, which is what you do as a football player and as a football coach. And I felt that as an agent, and especially if it was my own business, I could manage my time. When when I first approached you to see if you'd have a chat to us, um, you know, you, you sort of said, uh, you, you're very kind to say, I'm happy to, to speak to you, but can we do it after the transfer window? <laughs> so I, I take it August is just a completely manic month for someone like yourself. Um, yeah, it's not so much the manic, it's the pressure's different and you never know if and when you need to be somewhere and if you do need to be on something you need to, you need to be available so it wasn't the time and my my mind certainly wasn't on it and i had a uh, a few things to sort out then during that month and it was good just to get that out of the way uh, oh i completely understand don't worry about that i was just um <laughs> so the last you know the end of august is it just you know the phone's constantly well, going off and how 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 busy no, is it i've got a group of about 20 players so it's not so 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 many whereas the big companies actually have hundreds of players and i could imagine it you know it's constant but i had two or three things that were on the go so obviously those are high pressure situations so i just had to be available for those a lot of fans will say that agents maybe don't have the best reputation in the industry, along with sort of estate agents, um, journalists, I should know, um, lawyers, that sort of thing. Is, is, that, is that unfair, do you think? Um, of co- I think it is unfair, but obviously someone has to take the blame. Uh, I look at the football industry and I think uh, the actual business side of it is very, very tough. But there are bad agents, there are bad managers bad coaches, bad owners, bad players. So there are good and bad everywhere. But if you look at the role of the agent, it is to be that middleman. The intermediary, that in, yeah. Yeah, that in-between in guy, that intermediary. And so if things go wrong, I think it's probably right that he gets the blame for it. That's part of his job. If, he, if, he, if I'm representing Derby County in a transaction and the transaction doesn't go through, then I think it's quite normal to say well what was the agent doing in this why didn't it happen and that's part of your job if I'm looking after a player it's also my job to take the pressure off the player speaking of things going wrong um, (laughs) I was hoping I could ask you about um, a recent transaction as you put it that Derby attempted when they were in for Mikel Kiftenbeld from Birmingham who ended up signing the wrong bit of paper and missing the deadline by two minutes Um, is that something that happens often in the industry, do you think? It hasn't happened to me. Um, I wouldn't imagine it happens too often. How, very, how would you very, have felt if you were his agent in that position? I would have been thoroughly disappointed, but I would imagine as the player, he must have been even more disappointed. In fact, thinking about a transaction, for a transaction to go through, the buying club have got to want it to happen. The selling club have got to want it to happen. And the player's got to want it to happen. So you could say all three of those, along with the agent, were disappointed. 
I've always wondered with, with agents and transfers, um, how often is it when it's players, one of your players coming to you and saying, uh, Daryl, you know, I need a new challenge, I need a move, versus you ringing up clubs and saying, you know, I've got this player, I think it'd fit in well in your squad. How does each transfer usually happen? And they're all different. I think it's quite organic. I think that you're in any environment, um, if you get the opportunity to better yourself in terms of being in a more challenging situation, uh, a bigger club, a better club, then and that opportunity comes about, you're going to want to do it. If you're at a club and you're not playing, things aren't going well for you, maybe the club want you to move on. Uh, maybe you want to move on. So it all happens quite organically. It's um, I, I constantly talk to the lads I look after. So we'll talk, we'll talk generally about the football, about what's happening on the pitch, aspirations. And I talk to the clubs less frequently, but I talk to them all the same. The transfer, the transfer market and indeed the world and technology has changed quite a lot since you were a player 20 years ago. How much has social media sort of chain, you know, made your job difficult and, and changed the transfer market, do you think, in terms of how it affects the transfer window and that sort of thing? Social media has changed the world completely, hasn't it? It's not just football and what we do. And in a lot of ways, technology has made my job easier because everything's closer, everything's at hand, everything's accessible. But at the same time, you have to be a lot more careful in what you say and, and what you do because the moment you say something wrong, which we've all done, um, we all make mistakes and we all will in, in the future, the moment you do that, it's out there. And it's there and, for good, isn't and it? And once it's out there, you can't take it back. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you delete it two minutes later, someone's always got a screen grab, haven't it, they? Yeah, it's out. Yeah. Once it's out, it's out. And, and that makes it difficult. I feel for the players in that respect. Do you, know do you have to instruct your players to with a code of conduct on social media, to, to, you know, as in to stop them, I don't know, tweeting about wanting a move or something? Or What you find now is that most of the football clubs, 90, 90%, maybe more, are really, really good at that. And they have that media training from very young. They have that social media awareness very, very young. And um, obviously, it's something that I'll talk to the players about. But the clubs are really, really on top of that kind of stuff now. Yeah. And players have to be aware of their duties in, in that area because it's such a precarious area. Do the players ever come to you and say, after a bad game, and, and react to what's said about them on social media? Or do they tend to ignore it in your experience? My lads, we don't really talk about social media so much. We'll talk about performances in games or how they felt in games or what the manager thought they did or expected of them. And then they'll ask my opinion on on their performance. And sometimes well, we talk about the psycho psychological part of, of it. So it's more a, a conversation about how they're doing. We don't really have the chats about, oh, the press have done this in social media. This would be something for young players and something I'll say to them quite early really is don't get caught up in reading the press good or bad you know concentrate on what you've got to do and apply yourself on the on the training ground and your manager will tell you what you what you've done right what you've done wrong and if you want my opinion on it I'll give you that now you're actually involved in um a transfer involving a Derby player recently, were you? you uh, your Lee Grant's agent. That's right. So how, how did um, how did that move come about? The move initially, Lee was um, 
not playing at Derby and a few other clubs came in for him and then Stoke came in to take him on loan at the end of I think the summer 2016 we um, did a deal for him to go there on loan until the January and Lee Lee went in and did really 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 well there was no no way that he was going to come back to Derby I think everybody had agreed that and it was just about getting a fee that was was right at the time I think um, in the end it worked out very very well the deal for Derby County um, because Lee had done so well on loan it worked out very well for Stoke because they got a player that they were able to buy they had proven he had Premier League quality and um, and it worked out well for Lee and myself I just wanted to ask you finally about the current Derby County team Uh, you played in a team that got promoted to the Premier League what do you think this current squad are missing because they've been trying for three or four years to go up (laughs) that's for Gary Rowett to, to work that one out it's really really hard I think what's been difficult for Derby is that there's been so much pressure on them over the recent years it's a, it's a very big club in the, at the level they um, have a really good owner in as much as he is really willing to put his money out there um, which brings on a different type of pressure I think they've had a real turnover of managers which makes it makes it difficult maybe a little bit of energy in the middle of the park power, power and pace up front but um, it's not so easy to get. And as, as we're seeing week in, week out, the championship's highly competitive. You mentioned Gary Rowett there, who you played alongside, of course, for two or three seasons. When you played together, did you have him pegged as, a, as future management material? He had a strong mind. He had a, he had a strong character. He certainly had um, an opinion and an ideal and an idea of what he wanted. So I could have looked at our group and probably said, probably six, seven eight lads in that group of 20 players that had the potential to, to be in management and I wouldn't have discounted Gary. Well, One Shop and Steamatch went on to manage their countries, of course, didn't they? There, there um, you go. I'm sure there's one or two others that I've, I've missed in there. Just finally, do you, do you still look out for Derby's results to, along yeah. with the other clubs? Or? Derby and Portsmouth, I check the results. I must say that I don't get to the iPro too often. I concentrate on the guys that I look after and represent, so I get round to their games more so. Um, but I'll have Derby's results in and Portsmouth's results in um, just to see how they get on. But I can't say that um, that's where my focus is. My focus is on the, the players I look after now, um, as sad as it may sound, and, um, and their futures. Daryl Powell, we'll leave it there. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. I'm sure... Loads of Derby fans are fascinated to hear from you again after all these years. And all the best for the future. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Chris. Appreciate it.